One of the big news stories recently has been the New Zealand Superannuation Fund decision to take a 41% stake in Fidelity Life. Joining me now is Nadine Terry-Ora from Fidelity. Welcome, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Now, you must be pretty excited. One year and one week into, your, into this role and mm. you nail this big deal. How yeah. Does it feel? Oh, look, I'm thrilled, absolutely thrilled. Uh, and I think it's a fabulous fit for us. So, yeah. So why do you think it's a good fit? Well, look, I think, you know, Fidelity Life is a Kiwi business. We're focused on, you know, looking after Kiwis. And I think the Super Fund is this, it has the same ethos. They're, they're all about um, enabling Kiwis to have a strong investment pathway from a super perspective. And so I think we're both very aligned in, in our whole ethos around helping New Zealanders. Yeah. And how important was it for the company to actually get this capital injection at this stage in its life? Well, look, I think it's no secret we've been growing exponentially in the last couple of years and we're also very future focused and we really needed some, you know, further capital to fund our strategy um, going forward. And also given that we've got regulatory change on the horizon mm. and all of the, you know, the changing sands of the, the industry, it absolutely made sense to get capital in at this time. And it's really interesting because there's been a lot of talk how difficult it would be for life insurance companies mm. to raise capital, but I guess what we've seen this year, you know, there is capital out there for, for the life insurance sector and, and that must be a good sign for life insurance? I, I really, really believe it is. And I think, you know, um, the fact that we've attracted such a quality investor in the super fund speaks volumes for the credibility of the business, its executive, and, and where they believe the future of the life insurance industry is. And, and talking to people, obviously, you know, uh, Fidelity Life was set up by Gordon Watson all those mm. years ago. Mm. What do you think Gordon would think of a deal like this? I think he'd be ecstatic. I mean, Gordon founded our business on the principles of everyday New Zealanders, and he founded our business to make sure that you know, New Zealanders had access to quality advice through independent advisors. And I think the fact that New Zealand Super Fund is such a good fit for us, he would be ecstatic, would be the way I'd describe it. I'm sure he would be. The, uh, what does it mean for advisors? You know, you, you Fidelity mm. Life, you know, solely uses advisors for mm. its distribution. What do you think, what, what's, what's it going to mean for them? No, I think it really is a solid signal to our advisor community that, you know, there is absolutely a future in, in the advisor industry. And really for us, it, it just reinforces the fact that our strategy is sound around supporting, you know, independent financial advisors and making sure that we continue to innovate product in a way that actually helps them, enab enables them to reach more Kiwis. So we will see more product innovation come out of this? Definitely. Yeah. And how about um, tools for advisors, like digital tools and things like that? Absolutely. So that's at the forefront of our strategy going forward. We are very aware that the customers are demanding so much more from their advisors. Um, we're also very aware that customers want to reach face-to-face -face advice differently as well. And that's why our digital uh, strategy is so important. Mm. And can you talk a little bit more about the digital digital strategy and how it will work for advisors? Sure, so a digital strategy is really all about enabling different ways for customers to interact with 
both their advisor and their life insurance product provider. And it's really making sure that they have access to the information that they need mm. when they wish to access it in a way they want to access it. So for example, from an advisor's perspective, it, it could be a lead generation opportunity. Mm. It's also enabling their clients to access their policy information um, you know, at, at the touch of a button as opposed to needing to, to you know, phone the advisor consistently or, and also from a capital perspective in, in you know, an advisor business, we're hoping to deliver tools and, and um, enabling um, technology tools that actually help them future-proof their business. So they're not having to inject their own capital into their businesses to, to thrive in the new regulatory environment. But it's not a sign that the company will go down that direct distribution channel, is it? No, it's, I think we've we've been very clear about mm. that. We're very much focused on customer-centric design, and we're also very focused on being complementary to our advisor business. That is the cornerstone of our business. It's the it's the business that you know um, Gordon Watson founded, mm. and. It is, you know, a, a st significant channel for us going forward, and I think we've demonstrated that with the calibre of the people that we've been bringing in to bolster that part of our business. Yeah. Look, it's really interesting. There's just so much talk around digital at the moment. Mm. It seems to me that it's one of those things that advisors really have to be thinking about now, and I'm not sure how engaged they are with it. Yeah. Look, I think we're seeing a lot more digitally enabled advisor businesses. Mm. Um, it is absolutely the here and now, and it is absolutely the future. And, and I think that's why we're so focused on building, building a strong digital backbone in the fidelity business so that we can continue to enable advisors going forward. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it's, um, the big day is uh, December the 12th with mm. the shareholder meeting. Yes. And so this will be, in all these years, this will be one of the biggest or major transactions in, in, in the company's life. Yes, it will be. It'll be, um, you know, a, a definitely a date that will go down in our history books. Um, so the 12th of December is our annual general meeting that we have every year, but this year it will be slightly different because we're asking our shareholders to support the transaction um, mm. that we've entered into. Yeah, no, it'll be very, very interesting to see mm. what happens and, and we'll be watching out for that. Mm. Well, thank you very much for your time, Nadine, and it's been great to hear Pleasure. a little bit more about it. Thanks, thank Phil. You. Joining me now in the studio is Rob Heenan. Rob's the Chief Executive of NIB. Thanks for joining us, Rob. Thank you, Philip. It's good to have you here because November is the fifth year. Yes, it is. Birthday of um, NIB starting in New Zealand. Give me a little taste of where you're at and where you've come from in that five years. Look, it's been a fantastic five years. And as you know, we entered the New Zealand market uh, to be a challenger and grow the market. And that's what we've done. We've got a great advisor business um, and that's growing. Uh, and we've got a great, uh, more broad, resilient business with the group and the direct sales. Mm. And, and, and the, the advisor part is still really critical to it, isn't it? It's, it's fundamental. It, it was always the core of the business and I think it always will be. Um, and the good news now is that, um, you know, rather than the 10 years of decline which we had before we bought the business, uh, we've now had five years of growth. And you have had a good solid five years of growth, haven't you? Yes, we have. Yeah, it's yeah. exciting. So, so how, how big is it now? How big is Oh, so we're over 200 million now mm -hmm. in terms of revenue. Uh, we, you know, you look, you look at our reports, you know, we, we have, you know, very good underlying operating profit. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the critical thing, though, is the year-on-year -year growth. It's mm -hmm. double digit. 
Mm. And you've been, um, there's always been lots of new initiatives and, and your latest one is your first choice network? Yeah, so innovation is absolutely fundamental to what we bring to the marketplace. Mm. This was a market that was relatively static, uh, hadn't seen a lot of growth and you know it's the new advisor products, you know, particularly the ultimate range, it's our direct to consumer range, the revitalised group products and now the first choice network. Mm. And, and, and with the first choice network, do you want to give us a little bit of a taste of how that works and what's the reason behind it? Yeah, so very simply, our offering to the marketplace is simple products, affordable products and mm. choice. Mm. And First Choice Network uh, uh, speaks to two of our strategic goals, which is we want to make sure that consumers have choice. Mm -hmm. uh, they can go to any provider that they like and get the treatment that they need. But also, it's all about long-term sustainability and affordability. Uh, so First Choice Network, 90% of providers are in, they're charging really fair prices. Mm. That means the customer can know that they're getting really good value for money and we can sustain our premium increases going forward. You work with Fidelity Life with their yes, BDMs and the distribution, how's that going? It's going very well. Fidelity have been a core strategic partner for us right since the beginning. Uh, in fact, uh, Milton and I had the early discussions and now we're really pleased with the, the ongoing relationship with Nadine and the team. It's going very well. Oh, excellent, Paul. And, and also, you know, what's a, what's a good way for advisors to sort of start a conversation with their clients about health insurance? Well, we talk about having healthy conversations. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, uh, for a client, for them and their families, being healthy, being able to enjoy life, being able to engage, do the things they want is critical. And I think the advisors are in a perfect position. They can have a personal conversation mm. with their clients about their life yeah. and that being healthy, happy and productive. Mm. They could uh, start it with taking on nice green Granny Smith apple or something they could. to start the conversation. Yeah, at the end of the day, <laughs> our lives revolve around how healthy we are. Mm. You know, it's a bit like the weather. We talk about how healthy we are and, and with our friends. And the wonderful thing about having private health insurance is that you have choice. Mm. If things go wrong, and sometimes they do, um, you can get the treatment you need, the access to the health care you need when and where you want it. Yeah, and and just finally, um, commissions is always a, always a, mm. a, an interesting topic. You've had some changes going on there. What's what's happening in that space? Well, we've been talking to advisors just over the last month or so about how we can help uh, them to have more resilient, more profitable businesses mm. and sustainable businesses going forward. We've launched a new spread commission model, which at the end of the day helps them to grow their business and have much more consistent. Uh, profit flows um, and therefore their businesses are more sustainable going forward and we think that that is not just a healthy discussion with them and their clients but it's also a healthy business discussion with them and their Fidelity BDM. Yes exactly and, and the whole spread commission thing is starting to get a lot more traction in the market so it's actually a really good good move. If you want a resilient business and you want a, a, a growing income stream long term it's the way to go. Yeah excellent. Look thanks very much for your time Rob and um, we'll see you again. Thank you Philip. Yeah, cheers. Thanks. With me today, I've got Anna Marie Lockyer. She's the general manager of uh, Wealth Products at ANZ Investments. So, coming to the 65-year-old accumulation, I, yeah. I, I just wish we could find a better word for it than that. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've got any ideas there, but I think it's a shocker. Um, it seems to me that this, you know, there's a growing amount of money coming out of KiwiSaver every year. Well, people are getting to 65, and the the you probably know the numbers better than me that you know um, there's quite a lot of money sitting there. Um, but very few providers have actually 
put in a, a, an option for members at that stage. Why do you yeah. think it's taking so long? Oh, look, KiwiSave is pretty immature. The mm. world over decumulation, mm. as it's called, um, mm. hasn't been solved. Yeah. In New Zealand, I guess we're 10 years into KiwiSave, and mm. people are really retiring with balances of twenty to $40,000. Yeah, so it's not a huge amount. Yeah, I guess, I guess my problem today is, you know, with $40,000, here's mm. your decumulation product. You might get $5 a year. Yeah, yeah. It's not really going to help. Yeah. Um, so, so you need a balance of something like 100k, or, or look, I think I think a balance of 100k, you start talking about serious, mm. seriously, be mm. able to spread that over the mm. life of of your retirement. Yeah. Um, look, I bet I think about a third of members take their money out um, at the yeah, age okay. of 65. So that's not too bad. No, and then we see probably another third taking a regular withdrawal mm. um, from their from their KiwiSaver account. Yeah. And and then a lot of people actually continue to invest in KiwiSaver and add to it. Yeah, okay. I guess they've seen the benefits of saving well, through KiwiSaver. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I think this is where it's really important, I think, when people hit 65 to ensure that, you know, what is your time frame yeah. Um, yeah. to spend now to make sure that you're sort of appropriately investing? So in some ways, it's sort of, it's sort of nearly a little bit early for the accumulation side, side of the industry to, to develop. Look, I don't think it's ever too early yeah. to start thinking about what and how we're yeah. going to develop into mm. into the future because, you know, mm. it won't be too long before balances do grow mm. and there's a demand for it. I think those who have, you know, quite big balances today um, and, and can really get a good decumulation product probably yeah. have a lot of other assets around too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the other things which comes up in the report, and it's, it's something which is sort of been you know on my mind quite a lot is member tax credits you know it's essentially free money from the government but there's a, a huge number of people who aren't taking advantage of it how do we how do we solve that problem yeah, member tax <laughs> credits look and and encouragingly we see more members every year take uh, take up the free money from the government so so that's the positive yeah. I think you know on but it should be everyone it, it should absolutely there's another 300 million dollars out there yeah. that the government is offering to KiwiSaver members but unfortunately um, people aren't, you know, I guess, putting in enough to, to get their member tax credits. Um, I guess, you know, without... One of the things I think that's really important for members to understand mm. is if you put in your $1,000 a year and you get your free $521 from the yeah. government every year, mm. at the age of 65, you'll have a quarter of a million dollars yeah, sitting in a, your... Yeah. yeah, I read that in the report. That was, you know... It's pretty compelling. It's so pretty compelling. You know, the government's putting the money on the table. I mean, I guess they don't want to give it away too easily. But should they should they actually play a bigger role in trying to get um, people to take it up, or, or is that a provider issue, or is it someone else's? Oh, look, I think a, a number of people have got a responsibility. Mm. Absolutely, the government uh, puts it up there and are happy to spend it. Yeah. It's a way of helping to incentivise, yeah. I guess, people to use KiwiSaver to save for their retirement. Mm. Providers absolutely have got an obligation to contact mm. their members on an annual basis, particularly those members who haven't, um, I guess, contributed enough to yeah. get that free money from the government. And I think it's something that all providers do tend to do to mm. try and contact members. So yeah, some seem to be more active than others, I think. Yeah, yeah. look, really important again. And, and there's a little bit of an onus on the individual too, you know, to, I guess to understand what the benefits are of the product they're invested in. But um, if they knew those numbers you put up there, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a compelling story. Compelling story. It's yeah. not often that you get a 50% return um, on an investment like that. So look, I think it's really important yeah. for members if they haven't mm. um, got the right contact details with their provider and therefore they're not getting the right information yeah. from their provider that they do ensure they're up to date 
with, with what's going with on. So, so another another of my little questions I'm always fascinated about is, you know, KiwiSaver is a long-term savings scheme and it's meant, you know, to be 65, but then people can take out their money for a first-home um, purchase. And, and I think $1.1 billion has been taken out in 10 years for 74,000 members. So um, that's a lot of money going into the housing market. It just seems to me to be contrary to what the scheme's all about. Look, I think I, I completely support first-home withdrawals yeah. within KiwiSaver. Um, you can't retire without a roof over your head mm. in some way, shape or form. Mm. Um, so I think, look, it's a really good benefit we've got in New Zealand. I mm. know other countries are looking to mm. New Zealand as to whether they should also implement such a benefit. Um, and it's well utilised and, you know, we've seen Very a 300% well. increase over the last year yeah. in people, you know, yeah. withdrawing from their KiwiSaver to... You know, right. buy their first home, which is great. Well, it might have been quite the right time, though, might it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I'm not a property expert. Yeah. Um, what I think is really important is, you know, that is that is a step in the journey, but you can't eat your home in your retirement. Mm. So, you know, you need to start saving, I guess, for your future. There were some really interesting numbers. If you owned your own property, how much it cost you mm. versus um, if you had to rent through your retirement. Yeah, that's right. So, look... Um, um, I, I won't ask you to oh, well, I, no, I can tell you the numbers. $110,000 oh. if you own your own home in maintenance insurance. Yeah. $650,000 if you rent in rental costs over your retirement. Yeah. So, you know, that's a 500, that's yeah. 500k yeah. difference. Mm. And therefore, I think that is the beauty of mm. letting New Zealanders buy their first home, reducing their costs in retirement for accommodation... Mm as long as they continue to consider how they then save to help fund their retirement. So how many people, once they do a first home withdrawal, get back on the wagon, if you like, and start... Uh, you Look, know, it's a really good question. We asked some members that recently, and encouragingly about 83% of members said that they would continue to contribute or contribute at a higher mm. rate. Yeah. Um, disappointingly, we only see probably just under 50% um, contributing at a higher rate, or... Start restarting but the contributions. Absolutely. So, so about fifty percent of them will actually start. Abs will continue to contribute into their yeah. KiwiSaver. So, older for that is actually pretty good. Yeah, look, it is good, and I think it's really important for people to work out how they can pay off their mortgage. Mm. But I keep going back to the fact: yeah. don't miss out on those benefits. Don't miss out on yeah. your government contribution. Don't miss out on your employer contribution. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, so make the most of both. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Look, thank you, Anna. That's been really interesting, and I've enjoyed um, talking to you about it today. And, and I would recommend that um, if you haven't seen the report, you should get a copy and no doubt um, just bring your friendly ANZ branch. <laughs> Look, again, thank you, Anna. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. Yeah. Joining me now is Indy Singh. Indy's the Managing Director of Fiducian Investment Management in Sydney. Now he's out here uh, talking about some of his new funds which have uh, done quite well in the Fund Source Awards. But first of all, I'd like to welcome you for coming along Thank to our you. show today. Thank but you. also, um, you know, a company um, advisors in New Zealand wouldn't know too much about. Can you tell me what makes you different? Well, we're a listed company in Australia. We've been going for about 21 years and investments is one of the components of our business. We also have our own IT, so you can call us a fintech. We have our own platforms for administration, and we have our own financial planning business as well. So we have about almost six billion under advice management and uh, uh, investment. This is uh, in Australian dollars. Mm -hmm. and, and your investment management style? Well, we're what we call manage the manager. Mm -hmm. So we don't believe that any individual is a hero or a genius and we pick out those managers who we think are the best for our clients, and then we blend them together 
and then we tilt and alter our exposure to them so that we can get the best possible returns for our clients. And um, you were out here last year and you were talking about your India fund. Now that came and the fund source awards that came second, second in yes. the international category. And our technology came first. Yeah, so we'll start, we'll start with your Indian fund first, because yes. that's the one you talked about first in the market. Yes. So why is India invest, uh, an attractive investment opposition, proposition? Well, see, India starting from a low base. It's an emerging market. It's opened up its economy about 16 years mm. after China. So it's absolutely grassroots. Uh, 1.3 billion population, a huge opportunity to develop. Um, the companies there focus on India-centric. They are basically a captive audience they've got in India. There's not enough goods to go around. So the companies that are there are going to make an absolute bonanza once the country starts to grow and the GDP per capita rises above $1,700. So we've just had an election here and we've got a yes. new government. And in India, they had a new government three years ago. I understand that's making a huge difference. Well, the difference in a way, I'm not quite sure about New Zealand politics <laughs> and which way it's going, but the Indian government is quite capitalist hmm. and it's purely for growth uh, and it wants investment-driven growth, not consumption-driven growth. And so there have been some sweeping reforms. They've got rid of about 1,200 old laws, some of, some of them British laws. Mm. And um, they've now brought in lots of new things for the banking. Uh, they've got GST in. Um, they've demonetized the big currency to root out corruption. Mm. I mean, there, there are huge reforms in the space of three years that you couldn't believe. So, so it changes the investment case quite a lot, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, and with your IT fund, now that came first in the awards, so you, so you actually did very, you did very well yes. there. The, um, you were talking to me before about um, IT and how um, it's changing, and, and there's, there's always lots of acronyms in that industry, and you had one in the technology fund. What was that? Well, that was uh, another one, but said technology, what I'd, I'd like to say is that you've got tax and death. There are certainties. The other certainty we're missing is technological improvement. Mm -hmm. And that is the one constant in our lives. By about 2050, the, the, the modeling says that humanity will not contribute at all to GDP growth. And it has to be productivity, which is purely technology. So if we as a developed country want to maintain our standards of living, uh, we have to adopt that technology pretty quickly. So you can adopt it like your telephone, mm -hmm. Uh, you could have the switchboard and the old switchboard lady or the dial tone and stuff and now you've got something that's a movie and stuff. But the, what we like about technology is pure technology, the brain technologies, mm -hmm. biotechnology, robotics, artificial intelligence and nanotechnology. And, and, and the, there's huge growth in those sectors. Oh, phenomenal, absolutely. Particularly biotechnology, I mean it used to cost $100 million in 2002 to sequence a gene or break down your genetic code. It now costs less than $1,000. So humanity, manpower can now, uh, or humans can understand the very building blocks of any living being on Earth and then alter those cells now. Mm. So biotechnology is pretty big. We're invested in companies that are involved in gene therapy. So you have diseases which are non-reversible like cancer or cystic fibrosis, Alzheimer's, dementia, and they're all genetic defects because your body cells actually mutate. The new medication we're getting is non-invasive, it's not like chemo, 
but it can go and change your genetic code to actually repair your body. That's amazing. It's, it's unbelievable what's going to happen there. Yeah, it's a fascinating sector. Now, so you're based in Sydney. Yes. So what do you do with distribution in New Zealand? Well, we're, we've got a representative here in Heathcourt, uh, investment partners, a guy called Clayton Copplestone. And when we were coming here, Clayton said, look, bring something special to New Zealand. We've got enough balance funds and share funds and all that. And we felt that the two funds that had probably the highest probability of success would be the India fund and the technology fund. Now, India, definitely, you don't have to worry about it for 10 years. It's non-reversible. Technology is lifetime. Mm. It is to perpetuity. It will continue to evolve and continue to evolve till we can't do without it. So you can use that phone, mm. uh, Apple or uh, uh, an Android or whatever, or you can own the company that makes yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Look, thank you very much for your time, Andy, and, and, and I guess uh, people can find Clayton uh, pretty easily if they need to. So, oh, yes. again, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Phil. Cheers.